0: You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel.
1: Coming up this week in episode 622 Mark Bolan, the angel headed hipster, How the Savannah Bananas Are Turning Sport into Reality TV, Paul McCartney at the National Portrait Gallery, and P.J. Harvey at the Roundhouse. That's all coming up after T Rex and Children of the Revolution.
2: driver rolls royce because it's good for my voice one of the (laughs) great rhyming couplets in pop music history
1: it makes no sense but why should it
2: absolutely yeah i had a look at the discography of t-rex yesterday and counted 49 compilation albums and box sets and um, 11 live albums that's just extraordinary Mm. for an act that lasted just over two years at the top but it was it was a run of 10 singles that reached the UK top 10 in a row in the early 70s that made Mark Bolan a pop star. And that was one of them from 1972, number two in the UK, T-Rex and Children of the Revolution.
1: Brilliant. That is such a great song, isn't it? It's got a great... um... That sort of slight Eastern mysticism to it as well that I quite like. In the music as well, it could almost be Cashmere by Led Zeppelin, couldn't it? It's got that kind of um that kind of um or sort of the Beatles kind of sitar-driven numbers or something. That is Mm -hmm. very although it's although it's it's although it's sort of late sixties, early seventies, it's that kind of transition time, I think, from the sort of flower power of the of the sixties to something a bit more rocky and a bit more sleek, I think. But I've always been a huge fan of that. And like you say, driving a rolls royce because it's good for your voice. I mean it's not (laughs) exactly exactly fanfare for the common man, is it? But but uh, equally, I, I enjoy its silliness.
2: Welcome to the Parish Council. It's episode 622. I'm Terence Dackham. And well, it's the question, the media, the press, they've been asking all week, are the rumours true? Is she replacing Louise Redknapp in Eternal? Let's ask <laughs> Juliet Harris.
1: I mean, I was trying to explain Eternal to someone the other day and the the Hmm. sort of split that's happened. Well, it was seen there are two people that need to be replaced in Eternal because there seems to be a split between... uh, the, between the the Bennett sisters, not to be mm. confused with the characters from Pride and Prejudice, different yeah. Bennett sisters, it turns out. Um, and as I described it the other day, Michelle Hattie from EastEnders, Gale and Louise Louise Redknapp, because that's how she's known, isn't she? She's yeah. she's she, she was just known as you know, much like a Brazilian football, she's just Louise, isn't she? Really. Yeah. So so yes, I um, I I wish I could replace Louise, hmm. but actually, I've long had a theory that Louise the success Louise. Um, Louise Redknapp um th- I think she's a nice person. And I tell you what mm. makes me think she's, make, think she's a nice person. Louise Redknapp is someone, and I have heard this from a couple of people that are sort of there or thereabouts in the industry as well. So it's not mm. just me going off on my usual insane theories with no factual basis at all. <laughs> there is something there is something behind this. Mm. Um, so given that, you know, you describe Louise's voice, singing voice, I think as pleasant. Yes. wouldn't necessarily... She not in not June, challenging, she's kind of is nice it? Voice. No, and, and not massively recognisable. But, you know... But she and she, you know, she's a good-looking lady. But you know, she she seems like an ordinary nice girl, doesn't she? When she's on things, I I think she comes across very well. She came across nice on Strictly Come Dancing. But you wouldn't necessarily say she was—you wouldn't say she was a bad singer. But you wouldn't say she was an amazing singer. If you look back at Louise's solo career, which began in 1995 and went through on a run to 2003, her first solo career, her songs got to the UK charts of 8, 17, 5, 5, 9, 4, 10, 11, 3, 13, 4 and 5. All of those are top 20 hits solo hits you probably couldn't name more than about two or three but they all sold and i think that louise is a nice person to work with and i've heard this actually Hmm. just turns up is nice does her thing and as a result of which works with uh, as well as which people want to work for her people think who i think that rather than in the music industry particularly in the end your crazy business of show certee hmm, i hmm. think that people don't necessarily want to work with the most talented person they want to work with someone who is talented and easy to work with and actually yes. i think i think that, that louise is by some accounts i suspect a very nice person gets given songs that are half decent to work with at a result and has had A number of top 20 hits without anybody really noticing So maybe I could I I wish I could replace Louise in Eternal Uh, But I don't think I'm that nice Is basically what I'm
2: trying to tell you Hooray for Louise Indeed The, uh, the musical career of Mark Bolan is being mm. re-examined because a new movie has been released this yes. week, it's Angel Headed Hipster, the songs That's
1: quite of... the title, isn't it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's only half of it. it? Sorry, angel yes, sorry. Headed Hipster, the songs of Mark Bolan and T-Rex. That bit is less
1: interesting. Yes, it's less the interesting, interesting than, than the than Angel I'm Headed Hipster.
2: Nice to yes. um, it has, of course, uh, a number of talking heads to tell us mm. that T-Rex and Bolan were very good. But of course yes. you have to see and hear him to understand uh, the appeal um and i i think there's um two lines to take on this i mean a, a couple of years ago on a, a completely different topic you and i watched um a ringo star di- directed documentary about Mark, yes, and was it, essentially a live performance in, yes. London in 1972 and um, I don't mean to be rude and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've apologised to any Bo- uh, Boland fans, but it was absolutely terrible. Um, it wasn't good.
1: I remember it being quite poor. I mean, most of the stuff we watch, I can find some merit in, but I remember that being quite unmeritous. It was awful. And there were, there were like,
2: it was about a 45 minute show. Mm. And I would say probably 20 minutes of it at different stages Mm. of that 45 minutes were him tuning up or talking to the band or talking to people off stage and just general fiddle faddling about.
1: I mean, I. because it wasn't a slick thing that was made yes. for an audience, but also, fun. you know, you could have watched them sound soundcheck. I, I, I can't yes. believe that got a release. Did that get yeah. a, the, a sort of a, the, a theatrical release? Because it seems very bizarre if you do. Very
2: much so. Directed oddly by the most unlikely um, Ringo star I know so, like, the course, whole thing get, seems indulgent, doesn't it? A, you yeah. know, yes, it was indulgence of the word for it. But it, on the other hand. It's arguable that with his his costumes and his makeup, he he was maybe even just ahead of Bowie and his Ziggy Stardust mm. in terms of androgyny and glittery outfits. But I think though, Jules, there is a little danger in overstating the depth and importance of Mark Boland mm. in the history of. Him. I mean, like so many acts, he came along. Had a few hits and went away again. And by um, 1976, 77, he was trying to catch a lift on the punk wagon to reboot mm. his career. Or, of course, the dreadful circumstances that um, led led to um, the car crash in um, West London.
1: Mm. It's, it's very odd, this, isn't it? Because like you say glam rock is and and him particularly it's a sort of thing where yeah he was un un you know undisputedly a complete star he clearly had enormous amounts of charisma and talent as well t-rex did some amazing singles like you say um the album tanks is excellent too but i think that many people probably do think of t-rex as a singles band which is Mm. completely fair enough but they had some absolutely cracking songs which i think are very evocative of the era so if you heard Children of the Revolution or 20th Century Boy or Ride a White Swan or Get It On. If you heard any of those songs, you would instantly be taken back to the 70s, I think. I think we you, you can almost sort of mm. see the pictures in front of you. It used a great effect in the Billy Elliot film, I would say, as well. But, um, but yeah, like you say... You know, what What would, I mean, one always has to wonder what if, with all of these, these these sort of rock stars that pass away young, what would their legacy have been? As you said, it was already, you know, at the style had already burnt out in the sense that, you know, glam rock was a genre that was a passing fad that punk was after it, I suppose, really. They, they, you know, they're, they're sounds that have had an impact, but perhaps more as a period curio rather than now i don't know you do hear some bands on the radio that you think oh yeah this is quite the kaiser chiefs i've always found to be a little bit sort of glam pop if you mm. see what i mean and kasabian and that generation of bands i think lent a little bit to sort of gra- sort of glam stompy pop and the feeling as well and bands like that i think might not have existed without glam glam rock but um yeah like you say a, a difficult i, I with the fact that that you know that he was sort of bowie before bowie was really in a way Mm. but then having said that yes bowie lived for much longer than mark Bowen did but would mark Bowen have shown the the sheer staying power and the the ability to adapt that david bowie has like all of those those great solo artists that managed to manage to release records for years and years and years and years and years on end for decades or decades on you know people like for all that she might have a detractors now, like Madonna, for example, people that are able to have that adaptability. Like you say, the fact that Mark Boland was already trying to sort of hitch a ride on the punk bandwagon, rather than sort of doing his own thing, suggests to me that he might not have had the staying power of David I'm Bowie. Agreeing. Although, of course, we'll never know, will we? So so it's it's difficult to judge. <clears throat> Wrote some fantastic, and um, performed some fantastic pop singles, and was a star in the sense that I think that A lot of people would know what Mark Bolan looked like if you if you mentioned the name Mark Bolan. But then having said that, how old are those people? What impact Mm. do people under the I mean, I know that I'm just under the age of 40. Do people under the does anybody under the age of 30 know who Mark Bolan
2: is? I would say a very definite no. Mm. Mm. Which perhaps
1: is the answer to a question, isn't it? I don't Mm. know.
2: I rather enjoyed the days of glam rock in the early 70s. I was in my mid-teens, mm. finding my way in life, not terribly well it turned out. But there was a there was a <laughs> magic <laughs> there was a magic about um, Bowie, Mot the Who, Paul, T Rex, mm. say Susie Quattro, Roxy Music. Once, once um, again, just as happened a couple of years later with punk, I just think history has rewritten the whole era and coded mm-hmm. it in falsehoods. There was there was no glam rock movement at all. And at the time, it was just great, good time pop music, no doubt. Yeah. But the, also where the musicians dressed up a bit and it was just an amusing change from this. Yes rather serious bands like Genesis or Emerson Lake and Palmer um, but I think if these bands you know the Motley the Hooples and the, the uh, Roxies and so on if they just appeared in jeans and t-shirts they would still have been producing great mm. pop but it just made it more fun to dress up at a time oh, of course I, one, I think a key element of this is that Colour TV ownership was just becoming really more widespread in the UK.
1: Yes, and
2: they looked really great on TV, of course, with oh, all the absolutely. colours and the glittering. And of course, pop magazine spreads as well. Of but course. really, I just think glam rock was just a throwaway style that had disappeared after a couple of years, and certainly by say '76, it was long over.
1: Absolutely, I agree. It's very um. It's yeah, like you said, there's some wonderful music from that era, mm. and I think that we still do. I mean, you you might still hear that music on the radio, on say Radio mm. Two, or on Greatest Hits, or you know, on Capital mm. Gold, or that sort of thing. And it always it always sounds great, but it is sort of retro, isn't it really? And yeah, there was and, no
2: depth to it, and I don't think the people that were playing it at the time were assumed would either then or now say that they were you know writing music of great um, I- intent to change or, the world
1: no although you say that and i i do take that point but equally in a way, the greatest, most enduring pop is often very throwaway, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Um and, yeah. and actually I would say that the music of that quite a lot of it is still the music of discos. I've played glam mm. rock numbers like The Sweet before so and stuff yeah. like that. Mm. And particularly people of a certain age, I hate to say it as well, it's good time music. So, yes, you you could argue that bands, you know, serious bands like Emerson, and Palmer, yes, um, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, more serious rock bands of the Mm. era have produced albums that people still listen to. Yes, that is true. But, this is This is almost like, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, is it? This is like the Oasis versus Blur battle. Blur was seen as having won the kind of the battle in that they sort of got to number one and they were seen as the more serious bands, you know, their albums sold. But it was Oasis's singles that really seemed to capture the public imagination ultimately. And it's them, I would argue, whether or not, you know, I much prefer Blur now, but the Oasis, You still I still hear young bands in Hastings that sound like Oasis and, and people like that. So you could argue that ultimately, although it might seem throwaway at the time you would still hear you know i still hear 70s music in pubs sometimes some of the glam Mm -hmm. rock when i go around and you'd be less likely to hear pink floyd blaring out of a radio perhaps another brick in the wall maybe but that was that was later on but um i for all i take the point that yes perhaps it wasn't great art but i think that actually often pop that is quite throwaway but is very simple often sticks in the mind for longer
2: Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, mm. I should stress if I was in a pub yes. and um, music was coming on and Mott the Hoople came on, yes, I'd, be delighted. That, <laughs> I'd be delighted and 100 times more um, pleased than if I heard um, something by uh, Genesis. So, you know, the, 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 I couldn't agree more. It's just I'm um, um, just... I'm cons- um, talking about the impact of it in, in the greater scheme of things But to recap mm, yes. The movie Angel Headed Hipster The songs of Mark Bolan and T-Rex It's on general release now Excellent Coming right up How making baseball fun In America could have repercussions For sport all around the world Sorry. That's next After Anna Erhard
3: You that. say you are the same height as me What a meter is One meter seventy Is about five foot seventy So no You are not the same height as me Now we both turned thirty-three But that doesn't change a thing I would say one seventy Until maybe I will slowly start shrinking Becoming mini-me so you. And then let's measure again when we're all friends before we DRS ascend to heaven. we'll
4: start at the end. Let's settle it, let's it.
3: Let's settle it I met your family And yes your parents are both lovely But also they are quite short See I don't know what you know about genetics But genetically that is unfortunately unlikely I'm sorry then let's measure again When we're old and still friends Before we D-R-S-N or so ascend we'll start
4: at the end
1: there's in a relationship with someone that is taller than them I felt i found a lot to relate to in this song particularly someone who is five foot seven aka 170 according to this song I heard this on the on the radio when we on Six Music when we were driving driving back from well we were driving back from London I think at the weekend and um I have to say, since my recent rant about Six Music and how it was losing its way, I have like virtually every new piece of music I've heard okay. on Six Music Daytimes okay. for about the last three weeks. And um, and yeah, I really like that. I didn't know much about her, but um, I very much enjoyed that song and I'll definitely be um, investigating more. It's the kind of slightly grungy female-fronted, radio-friendly pop that Six Music is very good at introducing me to. Um, I enjoyed that a lot. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, that was... Anna Erhard and we're spreading that E-R-H-A-R-D and that song was called 170 or One Seven Zero.
2: A really, really groovy chorus and a, a, a lovely Swiss accent as well. Mm, but, excellent. Um, I saw that she's, not knowing a great deal about her, I um, did a little bit of uh, looking up earlier today mm. and I saw that she's just played your hometown and I wondered if you sauntered along, but clearly you didn't
1: um she, no i was where did she play
2: um it's literally your hometown and it's a place with a strange name begins with t so like, um oh, we're gonna have to I, look this up I, 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 I,
1: I, I was gonna say i would have You'll to, have to look up. It I'm, up. I'm sorry that i didn't see her play because it, i would have enjoyed I, that I know, I'm too, late, so too late to it
2: last couple of days of september so it was literally two or three days ago and um uh, gosh, I can't she played at
1: basically. the Kino Theater, apparently. That's it, the um, Kino Theater. Absolutely, they which are, was, which well, was, you know, very. No, clearly. My finger was not on the
2: pulse. Not on the pulse there, mate. No. And
1: actually, to be fair, if, if that was the 30th September, I probably still would have been in that London. But how weird to think that we were enjoying Isn't her music it? on the radio and she played in St. Leonard's uh, sort of three hours later. Very weird.
2: <laughs> I decided to look up um, whether the Harlem Globetrotters basketball team are still in existence. Mm. When I was a boy, they were a sensation. When yes. people outside America knew nothing about basketball, everyone in the Post war period knew all about the Harlem Globetrotters and their star player, mm. Meadowlark Lemon. And I'm happy to report that they are still out there touring the world. Including amazingly dates at huge venues in the in the UK like Wembley Arena um, in February next year. But the point of the Harlem Globetrotters was that they didn't play at all in and don't in the American Mm. NBA. No, they're an exhibition team who combines basketball teams with humor comedy um, in their games. Much of it's rather it's a slapstick, I suppose. I would say. In the modern era, we'd call it scripted reality in terms of sports, rather <laughs> I love rather like wrestling. An
1: idea, yes. Yeah.
2: But this element of entertainment is growing fast. I say entertainment rather than sport because in this development, tricks, stunts, and fun uh, are perhaps more important than the result. And George, hmm. you've been looking into this growing phenomenon, and in particular, the popularity of a baseball team based in Savannah, Georgia.
1: Yes, and you know this rather depresses me. It might well be that I'm just uh, I'm just behind the times, said T. Um, it's a, so it's a piece by Jonathan Liu in um, the Guardian. Jonathan Liu's excellent. He writes in the New Statesman as well, and I very much enjoy his writing. He always gives a, a and he always writes about interesting things. I think um, and the headline is the Savannah Bananas show us that sport's future may not look like sport. And he says the sport is gradually supplanted by scripted entertainment. It is starting to resemble something else entirely. So So it's... um let me let me open, open this up, Terrence, with this opening paragraph. The pitcher walks back to the mound, ball sheathed in his right hand, quietly contemplating his next move. Sixty feet away, the batter raises and cocks his bat in anticipation. Then the pitcher slowly removes his shirt, flings his glove and cap to one side and launches into a sexy rendition of a Celine Dion song, whilst oh, his Lord. teammates gather information around him and wave flares. Behind the home plate, the umpire is enthusiastically twerking. So this is basically... Mm. Um, so a former pitcher a decade ago a former pitcher called Jesse Cole is coaching a team in the Cape Cod League for the summer and is realising that the game he was watching was boring him to tears I mean to be honest Aren't a lot of people bored by baseball? I mean, it it, it goes like many American sports. It seems to go on for a very long time without very much <laughs> happening to my eyes. But anyway, so he bought a small team in Savannah, renamed it the Bananas, put on a yellow tuxedo. He currently hired a group of elderly cheerleaders named the Banana Nanas or the Banana Nanas. I think that's meant to be pronounced. And... He says that the mantra is to make baseball fun. Um, So there are dance routines, batters on stilts, somersaulting filters, trick plays. Pitchers will frequently throw the ball from a trampoline. Bats might be on fire. There's often a paddling pool on the field and a barbecue in the dugout. There is a two hour time limit um no walks so these are different rules to regular baseball two hour time no walks no bumps and if a fan in the crowd i like this rule if a fan in the crowd catches a foul ball it counts as an out i have to say (laughs) i quite like that (laughs) and i quite like the idea of just things going on less long i'm i'm up for that as a thing Mm. um and i think jonathan lee puts this well here um he says, Whether any of this actually strikes you as fun depends on whether or not you sit in the intended target market. And you, we can dismiss this as novelty circus acts. Hmm. The waiting list for ticket at Grayson Stadium is around 550,000 and is growing wow. by thousands every day. They've sold nationwide exhibition tours out within hours. Um they started off by word of mouth and then at uh, social media. They've now got a, a TikTok following that is more than any other successful based professional baseball team in America. Um various sporting promoters and executives from around the world are, are, are getting on planes and buses and going down to Georgia to try and work out what the formula is. So basically, Terrence, God. we're probably going to see a lot more of this sort of thing. And much like the, uh, the, um, uh, the Harlem Grove Trotters, they don't play in any kind of organised league. They withdrew from the Coastal Plain League last year and they now operate as sort of, a, like, the, like the Harlem Grove Trotters, mm. a full-time touring act taking on local invitational sides, as well as a hired pantomime nemesis called the Party Animals. So not only are they one of these teams, there's two of them. Mm. It's like wrestling, Sir T. it's, It's all scripted. And... It does seem, and and, and Jonathan New makes the point, I think, um, that we say, we, you know, you and I might see this as not real sport, you know, sort of a terrible one-off. But he says, what is the hundred, for example, if not an attempt to create mm. a new entertainment-themed product, for almost sure. entirely divorced from the existing traditions and structures of English critics, uh, cricket rather? Um, it does seem very. And he makes the parallel with Wrexham as well, of course, um, mm. who uh, got on their way from backwater community football club to global entertainment brand owned by a man, uh McEnery and, uh, and uh, what's his name, Ryan Reynolds. Um, he points out that, they've got their disney plus documentary and they've signed loads of commercial deals Mm. united airlines danone hp and he's keen to point out this is the electronics conglomerate rather than the source um exhibition games in north carolina um california and pennsylvania Mm. packed out tickets going up to 400 pounds Wrexham are predicted to turn over about 20 million pounds this season, and that puts them ahead of many clubs in the Championship, apparently. Mm. And they said, said, as we think about it, does any of this income really rely on Wrexham playing League Two games at Barrow and Sutton? why, you know, as he makes the point, why why try and work your way up the divisions and haul yourselves into the Premier League, which could be derailed by anything at all, really. There are so many different factors in that. He says surely the most illustrated play here is to reinvent themselves entirely as an A-list touring commodity, establish a standalone brand with a string of hand-picked opponents and eye-catching celebrity cameos and teach Paul Mullin how to dance. And he says if you're a prospective investor, which model of success makes more sense to you ultimately so we could well be in for a lot of this sort of thing Sati. <sighs>
2: I think so, and I think it's almost inevitable that um, your uh, savannah bananas are, are going to come over here, possibly all around oh, Europe. Oh, they almost it will certainly will far and wide.
1: Absolutely, I, and, and it's not well, unusual. I don't necessarily protest to uh, sort of going and playing teams abroad. Lots of Premiership teams go and play abroad. Mm-hmm. There are, of course, three NFL games that take place yeah, over here now, which are very well attended. This,
2: this weekend, just gone. Yes, indeed.
1: we saw many people in American football uh, tops around town before we sort of did what's happening. Yeah. yeah,
2: I think um, I, I, this is a really interesting. Quote from Connor Higgins, who's the pitcher for, mm. for the Savannah Bananas. Indeed. And he said, For the first time ever, I see no fans on their phones during the game. In other words, they are as gripped by the action as if they were at the theatre. And oh, I think, gosh. in a sense, they are. It's more about the choreography, as you say, batting with a, <laughs> a bat in flames, um, yes. pitching while wearing stilts, I saw in a clip earlier. Yes, today. exactly. Um, they have their own rules and it all comes under the umbrella of banana or banana ball but i mentioned that quote about phones because this is a contrast about mm. you to know, make young people finding sport boring and yes. i think they do because what i see at Stamford bridge home mm. of the mighty chelsea your,
1: um, your man on the, our man on the scene yeah, I'm,
2: yeah. I'm, your, I'm the man on the spot at the at stanford bridge indeed uh, every game i notice many many particularly young people glued to their phone screens rather mm. than watching the game playing in front of them. And bearing in mind we're in hospitality, so these yes. people, or the more likely their mum and dad, have paid,
1: have have spent paid a, a fortune for them there. to
2: be there. Um, but they, they're looking at their phones. Also, they look up when they hear a roar and a goal scored. So um, I think... Well, I think it's a, bit, it's a part of a broader picture because fans in the stadium don't matter anymore. They, we... We just extras herded into place for Mm. for background for the television companies. I mean, I'll give you another example at Stamford Bridge just quickly. As I say, we pay a fortune to have hospitality season tickets. Yes, I don't ask how
1: much, but I bet they're, they're you know, they're a pretty penny
2: you know i don't deny how lucky we are to be able to do this but it's
1: not absolutely but but it's it's a leisure hobby and and you're entitled to buy tickets you know i think i think it's brilliant it
2: means we get to the ground a couple of hours before kickoff to have a meal and a a drink in this in the in the ground um and even though the outside world of the stadium where our seats are is literally just feet away a few yards away yes we're not allowed to go out there until a certain time nobody yes Uh, you might think, well, is it some sort of security, uh, safety thing? Not at all. The TV companies don't want fans mm. trickling into shot lest they interrupt or distract the viewer from whoever, Robbie Savage, Michael Owen, whoever, giving their pre-match views on the upcoming game, possibly waving fingers or giving sort of particular rude signs or barricades. Yes, quite. So the, the clubs are compliant in keeping the people who are paying a fortune – out of the stadium for the sake of the TV, and of course the vast majority of money accrued by the top clubs, at least, is television money. Attendance income is negligible in terms of percentages mm. next to it. So clubs now owned by American hedge funds or Middle Eastern countries—they don't mm. care about you and me in I don't know seat F seventy-three or D twenty-four. It's all about about as you've said about Wrexham and the savannah bananas um it's yes. all about maximizing profits and the savannah bananas are providing all the clicks on TikTok and youtube to bring in the millions
1: and it's you know i just i find it a bit depressing it has to be said because i you know but then having said that sports been going this way for years and years and years, hasn't it? The minute that Sky got involved in the T, I mean, the Premier League was founded for TV, wasn't it really? So, so, you know, the minute that that started and as Jonathan Lee correctly points out, you know, we've, we've got, you know, cricket's gone this way and you could argue that every, every sport seems to be going through this kind of, this, this kind of transition. And, you know, it, it makes me wonder if actually ultimately it might die out because mm. because, you know, I, I just you know, what what it, does anybody need to train to do to be able to bat on a trampoline? You know, that does that. I, I wonder if eventually it might it might do itself in because it will just become a novelty and people will get bored. And at the moment, people don't get bored with sport because people are. People are, you know, uh, uh, people still have the passion for it, I think. People, you still have to be really good to get on in sport by and large, don't you? It's, it's, mm. it, you could argue that, that some, you know, that it's difficult for working class players. Of course, it almost certainly is for working class kids. They don't have the opportunities. You could argue that, you know, particularly with in women's football as well, I know there's a big debate going on in the women's game at the moment about class on the base that lots of teams play out of town um you know how do players get to get to training facilities that sort of thing um it you know there is a debate around that and how inclusive it truly is, but having said that i still you can I think you can still argue to some extent it's a meritocracy whereas yes. whereas you know. Will will it start being a will it stop being a meritocracy? Will it go the same way as showbiz is going, which is that increasingly, particularly in Britain as well, particularly when I think about acting and that art, the rise and, and the music industry as well, the rise of young people whose parent has a you know, whose Wikipedia entry has a parent with their own Wikipedia entry?
2: Yes, exactly. I think cricket, um it, it can be the greatest exemplifier of what mm. we're, we're both driving at here because my um, county club are Middlesex and they play at Lords. Now, if I go to see Middlesex play a game in the county championship, I mm. can sit wherever I like because I think Lords. Let's say I'm not exactly sure, but let's say it holds about twenty five thousand. There will be maybe 150, hundred and fifty, two hundred people there uh, mm. to, to watch Middlesex. Quite. If, on the other hand. I tried to go to see, and you referred to this tournament earlier, the 100, where they play yes. 100 balls. Um, Middlesex are, are retitled uh, the, the London Spirit or something, but it's basically yes, it's still I at You so. Can't yes. get a seat. You know, you, it's sold it's mad, out isn't it? It, it, Absolutely. months in we, so, we, got,
1: we got tickets to go and see... Um, Sussex Sharks play um mm. a couple of years ago um in I don't think that was the hundred I think that was the no. big bl- the T twenty
2: blast the blast. I think vitality that was blast yeah the 2020 yes. Oh yes yeah. I
1: remember the vitality blast because mm. we kept constantly being told it was the vitality mm. blast and I got told off by all of my colleagues I was with for constantly saying that you know could you not be so loud you're impinging upon my enjoyment of the vitality blast and I told <laughs> everybody in the con- in the uh, in the office on Monday we very much enjoyed our time at the vitality blast at <laughs> Uh, stadium <laughs> on, uh, on the county ground and, uh, and, and it's yeah. that it's, uh, you know it makes me think of that lovely and um, i don't know if you remember this but urban animations did a christmas um thing years and years and years ago called robbie the reindeer and they did do a, a sequel to it as well and it all surrounded the tournament it was meant to be like an, a winter olympics for the north pole but it was called the reindeer games as in they wouldn't <laughs> let paul rudolph join any reindeer games And they said they kept referring to the Reindeer Games in the stadium and the Tannoy would say sponsored by Hay, the official snack group of the Reindeer Games. And every time someone mentioned it, this Tannoy would come on in the distance. So I feel like every time someone said, did you go to cricket? Yes, we very much enjoyed the Vitality Blast. But anyway, the point I was trying to make about the Vitality Blast slash (laughs) Reindeer Games sponsored by Hay was that... um, Like you say, we had to get tickets months in advance Mm. and it was partly complicated because we were still in a slightly post-Covid world. Mm. But um, this was last summer. But um, again, we... So, you know we had to get them a couple of months in advance they, uh, some one of my colleagues tried to come with us and they'd sold out the week exactly. before and uh, there were two blokes having quite a, a I thought a reasonable conversation next to me who were clearly fans sort of a, a county fans you mm. know sort of county cricket fans and they had a conversation along the lines of I don't particularly this isn't my thing but if we don't have this then the county games become unsustainable Absolutely. because like you know there are three people in each stand you know on, on day yeah, two exactly. yeah. and and also and you know you could tie this back to you know sport has sport and have certain industries become just alcohol floggers the amount of people i saw firstly we saw lots of stag doos and and similar sort of outings but secondly i i counted in three minutes it took my colleague to go to the toilet and come back i counted how many people walked past our section of the stand holding you know those things where you can hold four pints sort of cardboardy things how many people walked past that had Mm. full full four pints of those and i counted 17 in about Mm. three minutes it's big business it's big industry and you could argue that you know county cricket is a lost leader when you've got things like that and maybe there is room for a where the Savannah Bananas bring in lots of money to baseball and then, you know, lower league teams. Is there going to be a trickle down from that? No, probably not. They're a rich person's plaything, thing, aren't they? Yeah,
2: that's exactly it. Raja Matez wins mm. every time.
1: There's Sadly, some, yes.
2: Yes, there's more to come, including Paul McCartney at the National Portrait Gallery and Polly Jean Harvey at the Roundhouse. Mm. All the big That's ones. next after Paul McCartney. I was just talking to one of my friends a week or two ago, and we were, I kind of, we were sort of speculating whether there were any official Beatle tracks that we had never heard. Mm. And after um, after deciding that there weren't any, uh, that we, you know, we, we think we heard everything many times, we it, broadened it out to solo Beatles. And I guessed, and it was quite rightly as it turned out, that there mm. must be some B-sides um, that I had never heard. So I compiled uh, a playlist of Paul McCartney B-sides, um, realised I hadn't heard several of them before, and uh, have been playing that over the last couple of weeks and discovered some absolute gems like this track, mm. which was the B-side of Paul's Hope of Deliverance single in 1992. Mm. I think it could have been a hit on its own merit. Yes, so I agree. 1992, Paul McCartney and Kicked Around No More.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was new to me as well. And I very much enjoyed it. And like you say, Paul McCartney is one of those people that is so outrageously talented mm. that, that there is a lot of stuff hanging around. Because, of course, you forget that particularly um, even even with sort of 45 singles, you there always had to be a flip, didn't there? And then, of course, you forget, you know, moving into the 80s and the 90s and, and the noughties, we were living in the age of... Not only the CD single where you could get more than one yeah, exactly. B-side on it, we were, listed, we were living in the age of the multi-format, weren't we? And yes. so often you'd have to come out with about, with about three or four different B-sides, wouldn't you? For CD1, CD2 and the tape.
2: Well, you couldn't be more accurate because if I remember correctly from when I looked this up, when I was putting mm. this um, playlist together, I think Kicked Around No More was not, in a sense the official b-side of mm. if there had been a vinyl single it was tucked away on exactly what you say as an extra bonus track on one of the cd single releases so even it was mm. even more obscure um so yeah there's this interesting to find that there's still some um unheard gems um, uh, to be to be found, certainly in the Paul McCartney... Uh, Absolutely, camp. good for him. Talking of Paul McCartney, here mm. we are about... We're about to review his exhibition at the National Portrait Gallery in London, particularly helpful as it closed on the 1st of <laughs> October a few yeah, days Yeah, if ago. you want
1: to... I'm really sorry you can't. However, there are there is a brilliant book available which you can.
2: There see. is, and of course we have listeners all around the world, especially we in do. America. And Paul McCartney photographs nineteen sixty three to sixty four, Use of the Storm. Mm. It moves on to the Chrysler Museum of Art in Norfolk, Virginia. Mm. Which we learn, unlike London, there's free parking outside. Ooh.
1: Ooh, wow let's it, all let's all go I mean the we'll
2: cost of North the flight of Virginia, is probably, which sounds lovely well, exactly, um, the it,
1: cost of the flight is probably the cost of what it cost us to park all day in London well, so who knows so.
2: it runs from in, in Virginia North Virginia runs from December 5th 2023 mm. to April 7th 2024 now I visited mm. the London exhibition two or three weeks ago but Jules you went along this very um, last weekend Di- the, two questions did you have a scone in the cafe and did you learn anything you about Beatlemania?
1: well firstly no we went to oh. honest Bur- uh, but well, we went to we went to um one of those i can't even remember what it was now i think it was a pret that we went to beforehand and we went a to big, honest big Bur- i know we went to honest burger afterwards which was uh. not a mistake terence um, <laughs> i i am um, <laughs> missing I, the scones
2: in the cafe absolutely
1: over. i know another Best. time maybe but we we'd been up in london we would discuss later on whilst we were up in mm, london night like before too. but um we were rather festooned by bags. And to be honest, we just wanted to we wanted to put our things in the cloakroom, our overnight bags and whatnot, and um, and get on with seeing the what we went mm. for, which was b- b- bizarrely was not a scone, Sir Terrence. <laughs> see, uh, see the see the see uh, the see the Beatles, uh, the mm. Beatles photographs. Um, we we went on the penultimate day, so it was, and it was we went, we had, our time slot was quarter past twelve on Saturday. So needless to say, it was extremely busy, which we had prepared ourselves for. We knew it probably would be. Mm-hmm. Our main not even, I want to say, criticism, but our main annoyance was the fact that we didn't think it was very clearly signposted what order you went round it in. And we true. found that a little bit very true. and a little bit irritating. And we were also mildly irritated by the fact that there was... There was a a long queue. To, I don't know what it was like when you went because we went at a busy time. There was a very small room that you had to look in, and they were one in one outing that room when oh, we went. Oh gosh,
2: no, we we had the freedom of the place. Oh was, goodness
1: me, yeah. we we were there was one particularly small, you know, the small bit that was sort of like a dead end where there was a small yes, room. Yes, I do. Yeah. Well, we were one in one outed for that, oh, and God. we felt a little bit herded around that, and it wasn't it wasn't great really. And of course, that I thought that's why you have time tickets, isn't it? So that they mm. so that they you know. But anyway we arrived at one minute before our time and we just waved through but um, that aside we very much enjoyed the exhibition um, uh, I went with my girlfriend she likes the Beatles very much but is not the obsessive level of unhinged fan that you and I are Mm. so so that there were some some bits that I kind of explained to her like the the context of Brian Epstein's death and that sort of thing but um we very much enjoyed the photographs we loved the fact that there were lots of photos of the supporting acts particularly the French Mm. photos we thought were great we liked seeing all the supporting acts and lots of photos of dear mal evans and neil aspinall and the people that were sort of around them and the press officers and things like that um i always love seeing photos of george martin as a younger man because i I can never having grown up the age you know when i did the Mm. age i am i can never quite believe that george martin was ever young and actually when you see photos of him as a young man i'm not sure how young he was but anyway um i we thought it was great and we particularly liked the conceit that it was all black and white until you got to miami at the end and then all of a sudden it was in this dazzling colour and you really did get a sense of how their world had just sort of really become sort of that those lovely saturated colours It, and you can imagine it was almost like you were seeing my that was their first trip to Miami and I've never been to Miami but it was almost like this sudden flip into color made you realize how dazzling it was it must have been for them really i thought the captions were well written actually we very much enjoyed speaking of weird sort of mccartney b-sides you'd never heard hmm. i'm less familiar with his later solo late late solo stuff by late late i mean the one after the one after Flaming Pie was when I stopped listening really regularly. Mm,
2: I know, but own, I agree. I think to that's my a, own
1: criticism. Yeah, but there fair. was a film that we very much enjoyed. That was a short film that you could watch. That was sort of like a mega mix of all of the photos that McCartney had put together and directed and had written the score for. And the score was. um Written that had been specially extended, that was called 222, and I looked it up afterwards because it said it came out in 2007. So the the album "Memory" almost full full. There was the original version which had 13 songs. There was a Japanese bonus track version. There was an iTunes bonus track version. There was also a deluxe track version, and it was track 16 of 16 on that. And I wasn't familiar with it at all, and I really liked it. We thought it was very groovy and very very interesting. So it was it taught me more about that and did it teach us more about Beatlemania only that it showed us up close and actually we said it was quite an interesting flip that actually some of the most fun pictures were the pictures of photographers taking pictures of them actually I thought that was a really cool kind of insight into just how mad it must have been and it was really nice the stories because we've talked about Paul McCartney previously and how you know he is, we we see Paul McCartney the persona don't we in public and he has you know the certain stories that he tells the time that sort of things but I read a couple of anecdotes that I'd never read before as well like the news that they'd had their first american number one and they just all started jumping around the room and screaming i'd never sort of really read Mm. that and i thought that was that was a really lovely image um also i know it had been written about and commented on before but john lennon in glasses never ceases to surprise me because of course you never saw him in glasses in public. sunglasses not glasses glasses which he is in some of these um and yeah, we just thought it was great. And, and you know, you and I, we, we never lose enthusiasm for the Beatles, do no. we? But um, I bought the paperback version of the catalogue in the shop afterwards, all the photos, which I thought was a very reasonable £30, which by London Gallery standards, I didn't think was too bad at all. I couldn't be asked to pay 60 quid for the halfback version. I'll be honest no, about that. But um, me. um, we were laughing about the fact that there was a large stock left, as, as as my girlfriend put it, day before it's due to close and there is still a large tub of Paul McCartney Iveson. The storm rubbers available, <laughs> razors available. Just like who's buying these uh, amen, apart from nobody. Although I did point out that they had cardboard sleeves on them, and of course, if one was careful, one could remove the sleeves and then put a sleeve on for the next exhibition. One thing. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I'm, I'm, you know. Cynical, but probably correct. But um, no, we very much enjoyed it. We thought it was a really interesting sort of insight into how it must have felt to have been it, at that time. And they always say the camera never lies, Satie. And in a way, those pictures said more than Paul McCartney's anecdote sort of jukebox ever could, really. And I thought it was great. And he's got a great eye. He genuinely, there are lots of people that, that celebs that do things. And we thought it was grand.
2: I, I absolutely love this exhibition. We were, we were very lucky, clearly, because we were there yes. on a Sunday afternoon. It was one of oh, the hottest times think. the year. I think maybe that kept people away. I yes. don't know. But we, we had it not to ourselves, but it was easy to move around. Um yeah i I like the fact that the photos were nearly all snapshots rather than staged because they provide a a sort of thrilling insight into that first couple of years of them the madness of the breakthrough of the beatles and i totally agree with you um I, I especially enjoyed seeing those new photos you mentioned of the sort of wider tribe, Mal Evans, Neil Aspinall, um, mm. George Martin, and, of course, Brian Epstein, who we often mm. forget was still a young man. Yes. Um, because he was so formal looking, we don't always remember. He was only six years older than Lennon and Ringo. Mm. I mean, he could easily still be alive today. Yes. You know, um, he was still in his 20s when some of these photos were taken Epstein um, as you say there's like three stages the early days of Liverpool and then London Jane Asher and so on and Paris um, mm. looking Paris looking exactly as you would imagine Paris to be in 1963 yes, was it was wonderful. really
1: perfect I thought but then
2: suddenly as you rightly point out we burst into colour in Miami and the magic and mayhem of 1964 in America and of course previously New York Washington, um, the craziness of the fans, uh, the, the confusion of the cops—you can see it on their faces—and and also older passers-by who yes. are caught in. And it's don't all get it, yeah. They don't get it. They, there's, and you can imagine Paul being dazzled because there's skyscrapers, hotel swimming pools. They would never have seen a hotel no. swimming pool oh, in their life. Oh,
1: good gosh! No, absolutely.
2: It, it's a world none of them had seen, and it was wonderfully captured by Paul McCartney and his and his Pentax camera.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. He just seemed to have an eye for the moment, didn't he? Really, mm. and of course, it was interesting as well. And I think lots of sort of younger generations looking at that exhibition. We saw quite a. You know, obviously there were lots of sort of older middle class looking people there, like us. But um, we saw some, you know, some younger people there as well. Mm. And we said you could just imagine having to explain to people. How different it was, how there was a real art to photography, how you had a roll of film, and once you'd used yeah, it, that was it. You'd had indeed, your lot. And, yes, and seeing the contact sheets and seeing which ones. And I had to say, I thought we thought McCartney had an excellent hit rate of when you looked mm. at a contact sheet of, say, 16, and you saw the ones he put the cross against, you went, Yep, that's the one. <laughs> I thought he had exactly. a really good judgment yeah. of what. And like you say, I mean, we live in a sort of increasing world where. Everybody that's ever acted or sung in anything writes a kids' book. You know anybody that's everybody that's ever been in the bill has a go on Celebrity Mastermind. Anybody that's ever been on 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 Casualty goes on Strictly Come Dancing. One of the former gladiators uh, ends up winning um <laughs> ends up winning Celebrity Master Chef. You know everyone thinks they can do everything now. People write cookbooks. You know, mm. and, and, uh, you know everything. You know Gareth Malone. You know the, the choir bloke. Then runs schools, you know, everything seems to, <laughs> everyone down the thinks they can do everything. Actually, I thought it was very telling as well, and actually it says good things about Paul McCartney, I think that for all that he's done sort of different things, you know the Liverpool oratorio you know was mm. sort of panned in, in places and he'd done various things. but actually most of what he's done has always been music based, and it was very telling that rather than sort of pushing himself forward and you know but you know thrusting this upon us, these photos were found almost by accident in the McCartney Archive in 2020 and oh, yeah. like, as I said to someone earlier well, of course, we were all going through our personal archives in 2020, weren't we? Because there wasn't very much else to do. But the fact that these were just sort of found and they're brilliant. And there was there, you know, they're, they're professional photography standard. And they were just sat in his archive for, yes. for, 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 you know, the best part of this. was 64 sat in his archive for 60 you know, for nearly 60 years before they were discovered. And they're fantastic.
2: A couple of other things I, I noted just mm. very quickly. Everybody had a cigarette on the go in the yes. 1960s, didn't was they? Was there
1: anybody that didn't smoke? Even children, everyone smoked, didn't Everybody
2: they? Everybody the <laughs> smoked. Um, and I noticed that Paul had taken a close-up of a policeman um, with a gun in his holster. Yes, and that was in on very telling, yes. And that was telling because it reminded me I was exactly the same as Paul mm. because the very first time I went to America, I was just so taken aback by first of all Policemen with guns Because of course We don't have that Day to day Here in England um, mm. But also It just reminded me Of an instant Of going into um, A coffee A diner Coffee bar diner In the middle of nowhere In America Yes And people putting Their coffee down On the table And then um, Sort of loosening up And taking their gun Out of the holster And put it on the table Next to their Not. coffee So we were sitting You know In this diner In America With like Sort of ten tables taken And maybe eight of them Hmm. Ha- with blokes with guns on the table and, you know, it's, it's crazy isn't it So isn't it? very different to life here And then finally just, just also the, the hangers on That one had almost forgotten about Murray the yes. yes. cave Who I insisted to... that he was the fifth Beatle
1: I know I was trying to explain him to my girlfriend Who was really quite <laughs> confused By the <laughs> whole episode <laughs> I think And also just goes to show how What a novelty he was And that we've heard of him because we're big Beatles nerds yes. You know, she enjoys the music of the Beatles, yet, you know, yeah. she had no idea who he was. It wasn't like, you know, he wasn't like a John Peel, because she said, Was he a John Peel figure? And I said, Oh, you know, he was nowhere near as, nowhere near as sort of impactful like that. You know, he was just a sort a of a an think. Yes, saying. I think that's
2: probably the best way of putting it. Yes. My main memories of the Roundhouse in London Mm. are a performance by Patti Smith, where she kept spitting quite openly and loudly onto the floor of the stage. And a few years before that, almost having my ears melted by The Who, who is probably the loudest gig I've ever, ever attended. Yes, I'm not surprised. So I hope you had a happier time with your visit this week.
1: Yes, I did. So we went to see PJ Harvey at the Roundhouse on Friday evening, the second of two dates that she played there. She's been doing pairs of dates in the UK. So she'd done she'd done. And we said, actually, it was a reasonably good spread of the UK. We felt sorry for anybody living in Wales. But um apart from that, she'd done two shows in Dublin, two shows in Edinburgh, I think two shows in London and then she was going on to do two shows in Manchester and now I believe she's touring various countries of Europe for uh for, for sort of the next month or so um so we went to the roundhouse we were a bit confused by the t- system because we got them you know almost before they all sold out and we thought we bought tickets for upstairs it turns out we bought tickets for downstairs because then we remembered that the upstairs circle was um was 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 so we'd only found two tickets and they were in opposite ends of the circle we decided that perhaps wasn't conducive to a nice night out together so we decided to get standing tickets downstairs um which we managed to get just about in the end um and we so w- i had never been to the roundhouse before and uh my girlfriend had we went um we very much enjoyed the gig not least because and i admire this um there was no support act so we were told that doors opened at half six they would start setting up the band on stage at half seven and she would come on at eight and she came on spot on at eight and uh, you know that the, the, we thought that every venue Released on social media, the stage timings beforehand. They were very helpful. And everyone basically oh, said, "Do not be late." She comes on stage at eight o'clock, and the show will be done by ten. And I think they went off at ten to ten. They 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 played until pretty much twenty. I think it was twenty to ten or nine thirty seven. I think my watch said when they went off, and then they came back on and did two numbers, and then went off again. Um. So you got a. I thought a good value sort of you know they played pretty much for you know not much less than two hours really and they 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 did play and play um and so we got there we were warned of queues beforehand to wow. get in and we just jo- we we so, sort of kind of ran house so we, we ate in the market beforehand usual plastic food that you pay 12 quid mm. for but it was fine and we joined the queue at past six and it was already down, halfway down the road, I would say. So, so That's we had very to be, poor organisation
2: by the Roundhouse,
1: isn't it? Well, that, it was like this everywhere. Apparently, everyone was queuing to get in just because everyone wanted to get a good spot. I think because these are oh, very small venues. So, but not a Roundhouse. This is sort of how it works. So, bearing in mind. PJ Harvey's won the Mercury Music Prize twice. You know, she's very much a critical darling nowadays. Her albums sell pretty well, actually, nowadays. The Hope Six Demolition Project was, I think, her first UK number, I want to say number one album. I'm not sure if it was, but it was certainly top three. Um, The new album has received good critical notices. I think it's sold reasonably well. So um, people want a good seat because the venues were really small. The Roundhouse has a capacity of 800. Gosh. which is yeah. tiny isn't it yeah, absolutely small. tiny mm-hmm. and she did two dates there and that was it so um and she played um the royal Al- the albert hall in manchester i want to say royal albert hall it's not mm-hmm. it's albert hall in manchester um she didn't play huge venues really so that's why i think there was so much friends in queuing beforehand we did manage to get a reason we, well we stood by the set at the back at the top of the thing, next to where the sound desk is. So actually, we well, a always a good spot. Always We a good. decided that was a good play. We got into a conversation with a delightful man called Joe, who was really lovely. It was great to meet him. I'm not sure you would be listening or not, but hi, Joe, if you are. and um, he was great, and um, and he informed us he'd been a pub landlord in Camden at various points over the years, and, and and knew a lot about things, which were interesting. And said the sound upstairs was actually quite poor, apparently. So we'd done well to be downstairs. Um. So we, we we knew I'd I'd seen the set list floating about, which hadn't changed apparently throughout the tour, but I did that thing where I was sort of aware of it but didn't want to concentrate mm. on it, didn't want to ruin the surprise. And the format followed, and I think this is actually I'd complained about the Super Fairy Animals doing this at a festival once, but I think festivals are different. If you're doing a gig, which people have paid to see you and then queue up even before the venue opens to see you, I think you can work on the basis that Mm. people are quite excited to see you. PJ Halby is is promoting a new album that she is touring, so therefore one can expect to hear the new album. So what she did, and I thought this worked really well, was she played the new album from start to finish in its entirety, in that order, in the first half of the show, which was directed by Theatre director who she's worked with before and then the second half she did i thought it was a fantastic selection of her back catalog and she did a mixture of quite unusual songs from albums album tracks she did some really you know some of the big singles we we thought it was a very Sensible and well chosen set, and she managed to factor in a, a, a break for herself because at the end of the first half of the show, when the first album was finished, um, her right man, her right hand man, John Parish was there, um, big figure in her her career, and bless, he led he led her, the other blokes in her band, um, through a mass sing of a song called Colour of the Earth, which ends Let England Shake, which he sings lead vocal on. So uh, as we put it, the lads all had a sing together in their <laughs> the whilst PJR was off stage and then she came back on and she it was that it was like a yeah and, and I couldn't you know I I was sort of being you know 170 as we discussed earlier on being five at seven um I was sort of struggling to see struggling to see, see her at points um in the thing and I couldn't understand where she kept she kept dropping lower on the stage mm-hmm. when she was sort of singing she had various chairs located around the stage, which we saw mm. afterwards. And we when they'd all gone. Everyone had gone. And we, we didn't feel the need to leave the venue with everybody mm. else at the same time because there were a lot of people trying to enter and leave on two staircases. So we decided oh, yeah. we could enjoy. Yes, we'd enjoy the view upstairs for a bit, which is entirely the correct thing to do. As I then got to see one of PJ, PJ Harvey's former drummers, who I follow on Instagram and likewise, on the way out as well. So that was very mm. pleasant. But um, no, we, she was brilliant. She'd sang it is difficult to believe this woman is in her early to mid 50s because her vocals were absolutely impeccable i mean I, i'm not just saying that we were genuinely mm. stunned by how good they were um how good the sound in the roundhouse was at picking them out because quite often you go and see singers and you you lose words in the sludge don't mm. you and and you kind mm. of it was spot on absolutely spot on throughout um very interesting sort of stage backdrop it was a very good presentation of her record, which sounded great live I uh, uh, inside the old year dying sounds fantastic live it, it really did take on a kind of a, a life of its own um she's a brilliant performer bless her she she doesn't speak at all between songs now really? at the end mm. at the end she spoke at the end oh she looked quite moved she came on to a a real roaring reception and genuinely had to take a moment before she started i we genuinely both thought she looked quite moved genuinely moved, mm. and sort of paused at point. Throughout, whilst everyone just went completely crazy, and at the end, you know, at the end of the sort of the false ending before they went off, she um she said that she wanted to take, you know, she thanked everybody for having come out to see them and was very grateful to see everybody and to be playing, and she introduced her band and everyone cheered, and that was pretty much all she said, and and you just think, okay, fine, just just you know let the music do the talking. That's how she wanted to, that's how she wanted to to do it, and and you and we were all sort of. As you say, there were people that were filming on their phones, and we've seen some great footage. after <laughs> we were saying you're rather sort of to- torn between us sort of being a bit snobbish about people being on their phones throughout, and then I sat and spent half an hour at lunch watching everyone's videos of PJ yeah. Harvey on the PJ yeah. Harvey yeah. fan club page on Facebook. So, so you know, so but we were very much engaged throughout, and particularly you know we loved hearing the new album, but particularly the the treat that was going through her back catalogue because it, once you know that that's what you're going to hear, that you know that she's done the whole new album so therefore she's got to do old stuff hasn't she that was it was genuinely a great joy and um we we had a lovely lovely time it was it was brilliant to see her again um we were trying to work out when we i last saw her in 2016 on halloween at brixton academy and that was touring her last album she hadn't released an album for six or seven years so it was just having enjoyed the uh, reissues campaign it was lovely to have new material We just had we just had a great time, and she's a fantastic artist, and she's genuinely an artist. And the fact that you know she has a theatre director direct her show, and you know she she sort of moving she did quite a lot of moving around during songs, almost sort of choreographed movement really. It was just brilliant, and so and again I have to recommend something that now you would have to go to Europe to see, but um, no, it was it was wonderful. We we thought she was grand.
2: Well, I'm delighted to reveal that the London Evening Standard attended the day before you at the Roundhouse and gave a five-star review saying a hypnotic focal point, spectre-like in her white gown, a very special artist indeed. And that was Gemma Samways of the Standard. So um, she felt the same way as you.
1: I very much agree. Yes, that's Mm. perfectly good.
2: Just quickly before we go uh, a, a mention um, and farewell uh, Sadly to Roger Whitaker Who died very mm. recently A couple of weeks ago His name again probably means nothing to anyone under 40 Maybe yes. even under 50 But he was once the staple Of safe and cosy Guest spots mm. on shows like Morecambe and Wise and so on Yes, He dressed very straight And he didn't drive Rolls Royces Into swimming pools But every 1970s mum and dad had a best of roger whittaker album yes and yeah he was a vuncular but he 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 wrote some great songs and he had a he wonderful folk musicy voice um durham town i don't believe yes. it if the last farewell which was a big hit for him in the states so um yeah he 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 was a great musician who wrote great songs and so it is a a farewell to Roger Whittaker.
1: Yes, I very much agree and he was often um he was uh, he's played occasionally on Smooth Sailing. Um New World in the Morning has been mm. uh, has been played report and also um in the aftermath because i was originally started this this sort of project during lockdown um i ch- had a cheeky request from someone in the aftermath of the Dominic cummings revelations um and his his uh visit away i was asked to play durham town <laughs> in tribute yes. to his adventures mm. in barnard castle which i was happy to do but no mm. i agree very mm. almost a bit like um you so said when we talked earlier about does anybody under thirty know who this is? I always file him under the same sort of thing as Jack Hargreaves. You know, you're out of town man. <laughs> yes. That you know, does anybody yes. under the age of fifty know? Or Forty yes. know who this is? Yes. And but yet, really huge in their own way in their generation, weren't they? And sort of, they were. sort of per- pervasive. But, you know, without necessarily people knowing who they were now, but now a very talented musician and like you say, a very avuncular presence. And, and every Roger, I haven't heard many Roger Whitaker songs, but yeah. everyone I've heard, I've really liked. So actually, I might try and listen to a bit tomorrow as a mm.
2: tribute. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you there.
1: Always a pleasure.
2: As we learned... Juliet is not joining Eternal. I, mean, I know it's going to I mean, people.
1: But it's it's, 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 it's much to your eternal disappointment. I am yeah. not
2: joining, indeed. But of course, that means you can continue your radio career.
1: I mean, that, in a. I mean, to say it's a career is a very generous <laughs> interpretation of it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I do a uh, smooth sailing on Sunday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. on noiseboxradio.com. Uh, Yacht Rock, MOR and Roger Whittaker is advertised. <laughs> um, I also do um, something called Loss of Words on Thursday evenings from 8 till 9, which is repeated from 11 till 12 on Tuesdays. And that is Instrumentals of All and No Genres, which I always very much enjoy doing.
2: To play us out an example of one of the greatest uses of sampling ever.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I really like this. It's um, it's it's like you say, it's got such a sort of style to it. Um, I wasn't familiar with this until a few years ago. A pal of mine. We have a mutual friend that has a, a sort of a private press and, and cut sort of you can order you can order 45 inch, 45 speed, seven inch singles to order and you can choose what you want on, on the A and the B side. Now I, I DJed someone's wedding once and had one custom made for them, which we played as their first dance. And then we gave it to them as a gift. So that sort of thing oh. is that's, that's nice to do. And He'd made one of these for my friend Ian because Ian had discovered this this song, um, which isn't as old as one might think it is, um, and really, really liked it. And so he got our pal Russ to do this on a... um, on a, on a sort of a what we would call a hooky press, I suppose, really. And um, he played it, and it was an absolute revelation, I thought. It's the title track of this album by the singer McKay, who's also known as Stephanie McKay. It came out in 2003, so it's 20 years old, this record. Mm-hmm. And it sounds very old, yet very contemporary, all at once to me, really. The, one of the greatest uses of sampling, as ever you say, um, it samples double barrel by Dave and Ansel Collins. And by the way, I spent years thinking he was called Dave Collins. He isn't. It's a bloke called Ansel Collins and his mate that's just called Dave. Anyway, it's <laughs> um, a, a sample of that. And I think that, that uh, Stephanie McKay's vocal over the top is just sublime. And like you say, a brilliant, brilliant use of a sample. This is Stephanie McKay and Take Me Over.
4: I am the I am magnificent. magnificent. I'm back I'm, with I'm the shaker of a soul, so, most, most stormy, that's hey, hey, hey. hey, hey, hey.